Well, hello everyone. This is Dave Cohen on Guitar Tales, and we've been promoting the show for a little while now. We have a super special episode. A very famous guy who doesn't even look famous, Henry Vaccaro. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm only famous in my own mind. I think you're famous in more than that. I was on your Wikipedia page today. You were, you're just straight out famous. Uh-oh. I'm in big trouble now. You are in big trouble. So the reason why I'm so thrilled to have you on, and, and I think why everyone else will be so thrilled to have you on, is that you were the uh, one of the primary, if not the, actually in 95, you were the owner of Kramer Guitars, right? You were the, the last man standing, right? I was the last man standing, and I was not the brains behind Kramer, I was the money behind Kramer. So that's how it got started. Yeah, it's such a great history, and, and we're going to cover a lot of different things um, in however long it takes us to uh, do a Guitar Tells episode today. Uh, but I also see a very gorgeous guitar behind you. Just give us a preview, then we'll dig in a little deeper about it. What kind of guitar is that? That's a Vicaro guitar. Oh, I can't wait to talk it's about that. Throw back to the old original Kramer with the aluminum neck. So that, that's a great segue because I've I, I once counted. I've owned in my little guitar playing non-career probably 30, 40 guitars. It leaps and bounds without a close second. My favorite guitar I've ever owned was my Kramer 250, which was the lowest model of your famous tuning fork aluminum neck guitars. Wow. Well, what I did, you know, that had a lot of negatives. The negatives, it, it was very heavy. It was neck heavy. Yes, it was. Okay. You felt that cold aluminum on your hand because the rails, the side rail and the center rail was aluminum. Correct. It was very costly to manufacture. And the positive was you got this great sound and a great sustain. Oh my God! It was such a gorgeous guitar, and and you know now to get a used one, forget it. Okay. Thousands and thousands of dollars to get one. Well, what I did is I, I oh, oh back maybe fifteen years ago, I started the Caro Guitar Company, and where I improved on the aluminum neck, but it still had the V headstock. Okay. And, and it, it was an incredible product, but we still had resistance because a lot of people did not like the headstock. Really? Yes. The first three endorsees, the Edge from U2. I've heard of him. Yeah, okay. Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> heard of him. Kid Rock. Yeah, I heard of him too. <laughs> okay. And the problem was I didn't have the financing behind me to make the company propel to where it should. I didn't even have the money to advertise. And right. In a couple of years, I just closed the company down. That I, that's, that's on the Wikipedia page too, because it talked about Vicaro Guitars I think in the earlier mid 2000s, yes. like something like that, right? So, because I want to so get to especially two important relationships, you and Eddie, and and you and Johnny Cash. Let me let's work our way through the history and bring and we'll bring ourselves up to those two. You um, were the owner of Vaccaro Construction, which was just really instrumental in redeveloping Asbury Park back in the day, right? Yes, I was the guy to put the whole redevelopment together in the eighties. And you, I mean, from what I understand, billions of dollars in real estate you developed in your name, right? Well, I did a billion dollars in, in construction. My main business back then was building construction, and we did mostly public works projects. Why okay. public works? Because you're going you're gonna to get paid. That's one thing at the end of the job. But I built over 30 schools. I did uh, seven high rises. I did five hospitals. I did a prison in Trenton, a nine-story jail with an underground garage, and 
I did some big stuff back then. I, I, I've been in that prison in Trenton many times. I had, I had clients there years ago. So I've been in every prison in Trenton. There's a, there's a couple of them, including Camden. I've been in the Camden prison um, wearing my lawyer hat. Um, so then the, give us the story. How did it come to be that you connected with Kramer Guitars? Okay. You, at this point, you're you're nothing to do with music in your no, profession. I, I don't even play guitar. I played a stereo and I played Johnny Cash music. That's the <laughs> And um, I started my construction company in 1961. My father had died. My dad was a doctor. And he took care of all the poor people in the Asbury Park area. And he had office hours seven days a week, unheard of. Morning hours, afternoon hours, and evening hours. Wow. And if that wasn't enough, every night he made house calls. So it's a good I, man. Yeah, in October of 1959 my father was given a testimonial dinner by all of his patients 400 and some people attended the dinner and my dad was knighted by pope john the 23rd he sent a courier over from rome and he knighted my father into the order of saint george in corinthia which was an order for people that do humanitarian deeds well the dinner was seven o'clock that evening well that meant that my father could have afternoon hours on sunday and make a few house calls before the dinner Went home, changed, puts on a tuxedo, attends the dinner. After the ceremony, still dressed in a tuxedo, he made house calls until after midnight. Oh, my God. And he had this medallion around his neck. He was so proud. And the last patient he saw said, here comes Jesus Christ, and he dressed in a tuxedo. My father went to sleep, and he died the next night. A wow. massive heart attack, 51 years old. Wow. I had left early that morning to go back to Villanova University. And after my dad died, I came home, I quit school, and uh, I wanted to work with my hands. I always had this in me, I wanted to do construction. And uh, I had an old backhoe, I started digging oil tanks, I put septic tanks in, I dug sewers, you name it, I did it. And over the years, the company grew to where I'm doing massive projects. I mean, 30, 40 million projects. Wow. How quickly? So, so from you, it, was, it wasn't that quick. It took several years, but it took a lot of. I mean, I worked. I mean, I work like my father. I have a. Our family has a work ethic. Well, you know, every success story I, I've ever personally witnessed or heard about starts with hard work, and, and and whether whether it's music or whether it's business, whether it's construction, medicine. Yeah. I I think and and from my own whatever successes I've achieved as an attorney. It's working 14 hour days. There's no, there's yeah. no time limit. In my business, when there's work, you have to work. Right. Okay. Whether it's snow, ice, rain, sleet, hail, or it's freezing, you got to work. Right. And I worked. So anyway, so my goal was every year I wanted to build a building. So I bought a track of land and I started building a little small industrial park, seven to 10,000 square foot buildings. And I quickly rented them. And I had one building vacant in 1976. It was a 12,000-foot building. And a young man comes to my office, and he wants to rent some space to make guitars. I don't know anything about guitars. So he told me, he said, we're going to revolutionize the guitar business. I said, what? And he shows me this aluminum neck guitar. Right. Blew me away. Was that and Kramer or the luthier he was in business with? No, no, no. Initially, there was... There was Travis Bean, right? There were no, 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 no. Way back when there was the, the original partner in Kramer was Gary Kramer, right? Who was involved with Travis Bean, right? Right, right. 
Dennis Berardi, who owned a music store in New York City. Okay. And Peter LaPlaca, who was a former VP of Norland Music. That was the original core group. Okay. Started Kramer Guitar. Then they needed a money guy, and I, I joined them. Okay. So Dennis comes, shows me this. I was so impressed, I couldn't believe it. And he takes me over to a gentleman by the name of Phil Patillo, a very well-respected luthier. And I'm telling you, you give Phil a block of wood, you can come back, you know, a few days later, and there's this magnificent guitar. And he's the one that, what they did was they took the Travis Bean, which was cut out of a solid block of aluminum. So you felt the whole back of the neck was aluminum, and they added wood inserts to it. Right, because if you were to do a cross-section, it was a T, and then in in those little newish kind of things. Right. But the Travis Beam, the whole back of the neck was aluminum. I, I sort of remember those guitars. Okay, so he changed it around, and we came out with our product. And so I made a deal with. Uh, oh, so part of the story is this is crazy how it developed. I said, "Can I borrow a guitar? I want to show somebody before I invest. I want to show somebody." So he gave me a guitar, Dennis did, and I had a construction superintendent named Bill Ryan. Bill had a son, Billy Ryan who played with Bruce Springsteen in one of the original bands back in the day. From Freehold when he was still living there. Yes. Well, Bill Bill Ryan lived in Allenhurst and his son. Next door, right. So I gave him the guitar and he comes back. He says, the next day, he said, wow. He says, this thing is incredible. It's got this great sound. It's great sustain. He says, it needs to be tweaked. He says, I'll be honest with you. It's heavy. But if he says, I really think you got something. So now, now everybody's getting ready to go to a trade show. It was in July. That's the NAM. or the NAM show. Yeah. And it was in July in Chicago. Back then, they only had one NAM show a year, usually in Chicago. And then later, then they had a winter show in Anaheim. And Anaheim grew so big that Anaheim became the main show. And then they would have a smaller show now in Nashville. Right. So Dennis says, I think we can sell $100,000 in guitars. Now, bear in mind, this is back in 1976. That's a lot. Yeah. I said, hey, I says, if you can make that sales number, I'll put the money in the company. Now, the show, I believe, lasted like from a Wednesday through Sunday. So maybe Thursday or Friday, I get a frantic call from Dennis. Henry, we're the hit of the show. You really got to get out here. Okay, well, Dennis got the first in Dorsey, which was Stanley Clark. Oh, my God. Renowned bass player, and he loved the Gold days. I was just playing that on my phone the other day. Okay, so now... I, my secretary gets me a seat. I fly out to Chicago and I could not believe this place. I mean, this is like, I'm, I don't know, maybe it's a hundred thousand square feet exhibition hall loaded with people, loaded with musicians, exhibits. I had never been to a trade show before and it just blew me away. Well, after he met that sales projection, we not only sold, we, I think we sold $500,000 worth of goods. Oh my God. And we had some dealers giving us cash in advance to be the first one to have them, like Sam Ash and Manny's and those places and guitar right. centers. I mean, this is, this is, I don't even think guitar centers existed. Maybe they did, but anyway. Yeah, I don't think, it, not guitar center, but Manny's existed. And, and, and Sam and, Ash was around back then. Yeah. They were the big ones. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm so enamored. I traded my ticket and I got a first class ticket going home. I said, man, I'm, I'm <laughs> big time. So anyway, fly home and. Now, uh, all we had was a building. We didn't even have the factory set up. And Gary Kramer had, I had never met Gary before. I'd only met Dennis and then Peter LaPlaca and eventually Gary. Gary comes in from California and um, 
Gary is going to handle the production. So we start setting things up. And initially, we were just going to have an assembly operation. We had a company called Sports. No, not Sports at first. Uh, it's a senior moment. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Monteef. It's a company called Monteef. They're one of the largest importers in the world of exotic wood. Okay. So we had Aframosia, Babinga, and all these crazy woods. And we convinced them to make the bodies and send us a completed body already finished. And I read about this, that a lot of your early bodies were just some of the most exotic, special woods. Even down to the maple, it wasn't just regular maple. It was you got, maple and, and curly maple and all that kind of stuff. I used to, when I had my Kramer, I, I bought guitar polish and it was so gorgeous. I would fantasize about the 350, which I couldn't afford because that had the inlay, you know, right. the, but I would polish that guitar almost every day because the probably wood was, play it, but you polished the hell out of it. That was not a good player. Well, I'm still not a good player, but I certainly wasn't much of a player then. Okay, uh, so now we got Monteith yeah. is going to give us a completed body. Right. Uh, we then had, I don't I forget who made the pickup. This is before we got him from Demarzio. Somebody else made the pickup. Right. We had what was called a can cover that covered the pickups, which had to be uh, polished. So that was a good look. I like that. I remember that. Polish that, and then the neck is being made by uh, Kaiser Aluminum. So now we get back and we got to start getting the factory set up. So I have to shell out sixty thousand bucks to Kaiser to make the mold for the aluminum. Okay. Wow! I sent him a check. <laughs> anyway, now Kaiser finishes with them. They did it in a factory in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. And they call us up. They said, they're ready. You'll have them in three or four days because we'll put them on a common carrier. I said, Dennis, we can't wait three or four days. So we rented a van. We sent Andy Papiccio all the way to Erie in a van, comes back with a box of blank necks. Wow. Now, Dennis had a machine shop at Wall Airport that's going to do the machining, put the wood inlays in them, put the fingerboard on it, and then machine it. No, excuse me. We were going to do the inlays and the fingerboard. Then they were going to machine it, and we were going to get back a neck that's ready for the paint shop. Well, the problem is, I think they quoted us like $25 a neck for a machine. So we shoot out there with all the necks. The guy says, well, we'll put them in the next room. I can't get to these for a couple of weeks. I said, what do you mean? He says, I can't. I got other work. And he says, by the way, the $25 price is going to cost you a lot more because I've been experimenting. And when I turn this on a lathe, a lot of the wood flies out and uh, it rejects the neck. I said, oh, man. So Dennis says, what are we going to do? I said, Dennis, I learned a long time ago. If you're going to be in business, you have to be in business the right way. What do you mean? I said, we got to get our own machine shop. So I went to the bank, had a lot of credit. Dennis hooked up with some guy in Philadelphia. And they flew down. They flew Dennis. Uh, they flew down in a little Piper Cub and took Dennis to Pennsylvania to look through these machines, then to Bridgeport to look at other machines. And he eventually comes back with a truckload of machines. Wow. So we had the right machines, but the wrong model. Okay. We had a lathe. <laughs> we had a milling machine. We had drill presses. We had cutoff saws. You name it. We had all this of uh, sanders and buffers. I physically went over to the factory, which was about a half a mile from my office, drove a forklift over, unloaded a thing and started helping them set up. And we set it up and then I built a room around it. I mean, everything was ready to go, except we were having all kinds of problems. First, 
you know, as you would turn this on, well, I'm backtracking. First thing you had to do was glue this. The neck was like the shape of a T. Mm -hmm. It had to be milled down. The headstock, because they had what was called flask on it. When you put it in a mold, two pieces of the mold come. It's a little sticking around the edges, right? Yes, that all has to come off. And it's got you have to polish it. Well, that the last thing you do is polish it, but then you okay. got to mill it down to the exact dimensions. Then you have to glue the wood inserts in it, which were a square insert. And then yeah. you have to glue the Weren't they triangle, the wood? Yes. Okay. Then you had to glue the fingerboard on, which was phenolic. You had to put it in a clamp and wait 24 hours. Then you put it on a lathe, and then you turned it at high speed. The to, problem to was, it. Yes, the problem was the cutter is now cutting three dissimilar materials. The wood, yeah. the soft aluminum. And the ebony. And it's it, not ebony. It was an ebonol, right? Ebonol, which was a phenolic yeah. plastic. Right, right, right. So while it's cutting it, it's jumping like that, and, and that be, was called chatter, like that. So now when it came off the milling machine, or off the lathe, you had to now sand all this shit out to get the chatter out. Wow. So it was smooth. Okay. Now you got to now it's uh, you got to uh, take it and put it in a paint shop because you have to paint the wood inserts or or put finish a, them anyway. Finish on them, right? Yeah. But to finish them, that meant you had to take masking tape and mask the aluminum. The aluminum and and, and the edge of your fretboard, the ebonol. Right, the ebonol, the mm -hmm. aluminum, very time consuming. So now you you finished it. Now you got to polish it because you're uh, uh, you have to now polish the aluminum. So now yeah. you take that off, and now you got to put masking tape on the wood while you polish the. Oh, it was okay. Make a long story short, it might take with the mistakes and the rejects. If you did twelve necks in a two-hour shift, you did a lot. Wow. So we were having all kind of odds of that. But then, the, but the cool thing, the quality. I know it firsthand, and I know it from your story. The quality is through the roof on these things. It was. It was all made right in Neptune, New Jersey. With wow. Okay. So now we've got the bod. The finished body comes from Montif. So by the time you put the neck on it, you put the fingerboard on it. I mean, not the fingerboard. The can covers and the pickups and all that. Well, if you scratch a damn thing, you got to take it all apart and send it back to Montif because we didn't have a spray booth. Wow. So finally... We eventually got raw bodies. We put a spray booth in, and you know, it really was a learning curve at a very expensive cost, and it was my money. Wow. And it really, you created something that for any guitar player, even if they're new, it's iconic. And, and until I looked beyond your right shoulder, I would say it was never to be replicated. Um, so let, let's jump forward a little bit. Um, and let's talk about your first meeting with uh, Eddie Van Halen. How did that happen? Okay. All right. Well, there's a lot in between, but I, I, yeah, I know I but... an awful lot. I mean, we could have a whole show. One thing was we're losing money. The metal necks are, we're losing, we're doing maybe a couple million dollars a year and losing three or four thousand, three or four hundred thousand a year. Wow. And I mean, I'm getting really tapped out now. I've been taking money from my construction company to support this monster and, Anyway, so now uh, our biggest dealer back then was Guitar Centers. Right. Because now they are around. Well, I think they're By this under, time, yeah. I think they're going under Chapter 11, but whatever. But yeah. Moyne Mitchell, who was the original owner of Guitar Center, the guy was a, a marketing genius. He really was because 
what he found out was, I think they have, when you're doing advertising, it's called an area of dominant domain, I think is the technical term. In other words, for, you put a dollar here and the same dollar advertising dollar would hit all of his stores. So okay. One dollar, he's hitting five or six stores in that area as opposed to, you know, having a store in New York. Oh, it's called a DMA. I, I forgot all the, yeah. Something like that. So he was right. a genius that way. But another thing was, he had cash and when you shipped you got paid and and another thing he had he had no payables and he had no warehouses you would ship to individual stores as oh a wow warehouse and then they would pick it up okay so but you got to sell to them so damn cheap you're you're, you're trading dollars another thing i got to tell you about back in those days i don't know if you recall the interest rate was through the roof 17 18 percent in some oh. bad years yeah it was really bad and when i say bad Okay, so now we need money. So we went to a factoring company. And back then, the banks were not allowed to factor receivables, but they, each bank had their own side deal with some company that they controlled that factored, right? Right. We're paying four over prime. And the deal was, if you take a, a, in a uh, receivable, you, you give it to them on Thursday, Friday, they put money in your account. So, if, you know, you need money right away. So we give them all these receivables and they loan the money. The problem is... <laughs> Peter LaPlaca, your business. Yeah, Peter LaPlaca is selling guitars to people that didn't buy them. That way we could send them an invoice, ship the guitar and, <laughs> and give the bank an invoice and get money. And then 60 days later, when a damn thing comes back, you got to do it again anyway. We're paying twenty one percent for. So wait, so you're if there was someone named Paul at Guitar Center, you could actually say you're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. You got that right. Okay. <laughs> so now uh, along comes Eddie Van Halen. Okay. Dennis is on a plane. Back then, we had just signed a deal with uh, a tremolo before the Floyd Rose. I think it was called a Rockinger. I read about it. I could be wrong. So and and. Somehow Dennis hooked up with Floyd Rose and Dennis is flying to California to have a meeting with um, Wayne Mitchell from Guitar Centers. On the plane, he sees a young man that's got a tour jacket on said Van Halen World Tour. So Dennis follows the guy to the luggage rack and says, hey, are you on a tour? And he says, I'm Eddie's guitar tech. I'm telling you, that's all Dennis needed to know within an hour. Eddie is with the guitar. I, I mean, Dennis is with the guitar tech at, at Eddie Van Halen's house. Wow. And him about our new tremolo. And, uh, Which was the precursor to the Floyd Rose, right? Correct. But yeah. then by the time the conversation got around to it, we now have the Floyd Rose. And uh, he convinced Eddie that this is the best thing since sliced bread. We still had a, aluminum neck guitars in. And um, Eddie really loved it. So... The problem is Eddie didn't like aluminum necks. So right. What do you do? Just like what? What did? It's like having the only baseball bat, and Babe Ruth endorses it. Um, right. So Eddie wanted a wood neck. We're in a wood neck guitar business. So that's about how it happened. And, and then you, you first had some issues. Fender wasn't happy with what you were first putting out. Yeah. You modified it a bit. And then you, Scott, weren't you at, the, at a certain point in time the number one guitar maker in the world? No, not. Still behind Fender and Gibson? Okay. We were voted the number one. Okay. Guitar for the Practicing Musician magazine. They did a survey. 
and they said the number one guitar over 500 in price, Kramer. The number one under 500 in price, Kramer. So we had it all. Wow. Hard to take. And I, I have the, the magazine cover somewhere with that study on it. And Dennis was a genius as far as marketing. I mean, he was not a genius as far as running a business. But he, he, if you could control Dennis, the company would still be around today. So, so did you ever meet with Eddie yourself? With who? Eddie. Did you ever meet with Eddie? Oh, sure, of course. He would come to the factory. And when he came, Dennis had a home in Homedale, New Jersey. Right. And, and he and Valerie would stay at Dennis's house. They'd come to the factory. And you had to have a six or eight pack of his Heineken beer. And you had to have a little of the white stuff around, you know, the whole nine yards. And of course, white stuff, you mean the sugar for his coffee. Yeah, so of course. <laughs> Which he drank black. Yeah, which was the 80s, so we understand. So um, anyway, he was a cool guy, man. He would come to the factory. He would go in the paint room, the spray room, and sometimes paint it himself. Otherwise, he'd tell George, the painter, how he wanted to paint it and had to help design a body and all that kind of stuff. He, Yeah. That's really great. And then the iconic, I keep using the word iconic, but it's so appropriate for today, that uh, the red guitar with the white stripes, that eventually Kramer began building that spe very special Frankenstein guitar, Frankenstrack guitar, right? Yeah. That's amazing because that's, you know, it, it, you know, obviously you have, you know, the Les Paul and the Strat and all that, but but that particular guitar, the, the Frankencaster, what was it called? The Strat. I don't know because it was a combination of a bunch of things. Right, but but when Kramer took that over, that that's one of the most famous guitars ever built. Really, really. I yeah. I, I saw a little thing. Frankenstrat. I think that's what it's called. I the Frankenstrat. Something on YouTube where Eddie's son Wolfgang paid tribute to his dad and said. The first guitar that his dad gave him was that original Kramer guitar. Wow. He 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 just did a lengthy interview on Howard Stern. I've been that's meaning to watch. He talked about Kramer on Howard Stern. Oh, that's wonderful. So you build this amazing legacy, and I don't know where it lies in your timeline. I know I have your book. Let, let's segue to Johnny Cash now because he's, he's like your best friend. How the hell does a builder from Asbury Park, from Neptune really, but who builds up Asbury Park... All right, fine. You end up, you know, business-wise in bed with Eddie Van Halen. Where the hell does Johnny Cash come into this? Okay. I'm Italian. Okay. okay. <laughs> Italian, Vicaro, really? Yeah, Italian. At my age, you love Frank Sinatra. However, okay. I, I love country music. And this is back in 1955 and 56 when I first heard some early Johnny Cash songs. I, I just mesmerized. Then when I went away to Villanova, uh, at the Philadelphia station, every once in a while here, I walked the line and I just loved that sound. I, I said, this is incredible. So now fast forward, he was the first Johnny Cash concert I went to was at the. Uh, when you were serving in the Folsom prison, pardon? when you were serving time, when he gave the live concert in the prison, you were an inmate, right? I was. He was <laughs> never in prison. I, I, you know, he was in a couple of little county jails for drunk and disorderly, but never. Never well, he gave that famous concert. He gave a concert in the prison. Oh, absolutely. He, that's yeah. what he did all the time. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. All right, okay. so go on. Okay, you didn't know that? I, I knew he did it. I didn't know he did it regularly. He did it. At one concert at San Quentin, you know who was sitting in the front row? No. Merle Haggard. Really? Yeah, he helped get Merle Haggard a pardon from Ronald Reagan. Wow. Okay, Merle Haggard was in the front row. Anyway, so... 
uh, you know, I just love Johnny Cash music. And I think I went to, there was a place called Symphony Hall in Newark. I saw a concert. That was my first Johnny Cash concert. And then uh, he would play regularly out at the Garden State Arts Center in Homedale, New Jersey. Know it well. Okay. Meanwhile, I'm building and building I was. I'm building a major hospital in Sea Caucus in the Meadowlands. Uh, back then it was called uh, Riverside Hospital. I think they changed the name to Meadowlands. They hospital. did. And then it got bought out recently. I know that hospital. Okay. Well, it was a, initially owned by five doctors. It was a private hospital. Right. The money was raised privately, and, mm. it, and it was owned by Dr. Cavelli and a couple mm. other doctors out of Union City, and I built it. So I'm sitting in Dr. Cavelli's office, and he's telling me that the bank is making them get a management company to operate the hospital because they don't trust doctors to run a hospital. So he was interviewing a company out of Nashville called Hospital Affiliates. Okay. So I'm, I'm looking through the book, and... I see Dr. Nat Winston on the board of directors. Well, I had just read Johnny's autobiography called The Man in Black. Right. It talks about how Dr. Winston helped get him off the pill habit. He was a psychiatrist and he would come to his house every day. June brought him there. So I arranged for Dr. Cavelli and Sea Caucus to call Nat Winston in Nashville to arrange for me to meet Johnny Cash backstage at the concert coming up the next spring at the Garden State Arts Center. Who the hell would think of doing that? That's fantastic. Do what you got to do. Now I show up and I meet him backstage at a reception and I introduce myself as being in the guitar business. I want to have something in common. I didn't even, he never, for the next several years, I never even knew I was a builder. Right. Henry, the guitar maker. So um, it's funny. So, you know, now I'm talking to him and I said, hey, we got this incredible guitar with an aluminum neck. He said, you know, what does it do? I said, you get this great sound. He said, well, look, we're staying locally at the Hilton Inn in Eatontown at exit 105. Yep. Why don't you come by there tomorrow morning around 930, and I'll introduce you to Marshall Grant and Bob Wooten. Okay. This is why there's a God up there. So now I show up, and Marshall was expecting a, another guitar company because the House of Cash made arrangement with another guitar maker. The guy doesn't show up, and he thinks I'm the guy. So they let me in. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> So I start talking, and I, I guess I can be a good salesman, too. I won't, oh, you can. I won't yes. put all that on Dennis Berardi. I, I can be a good salesman. Yeah. So within an hour, I've got him in my car, driving to the Kramer factory, which was only five miles away down the road. Right. And that night on stage, the entire Johnny Cash band played Kramer Aluminum guitars. Wow. Bob Wooten played a, a custom Kramer that we made for him. Marshall Grant played a Kramer bass, and Jerry Hensley played a, a, a Kramer rhythm guitar. That's uh, amazing. And then more than a business arrangement, you became, you got really close with Johnny, didn't you? Okay, yes, very close. I mean, I was at Paul Berta's funeral. You don't get any closer than that. No, you don't. Okay, so now uh, I had a, a hobby, and the hobbies change over the years, but then my hobby was big game sport fishing in Bimini in the Bahamas. I had a captain down there, and the man was incredible. I would go down there just to be with this guy. I mean, Captain Jimmy Alberry. I mean, a character out of a whatever you want to call it. I mean, just a real piece of work. But he held a, at one time, the, uh, he had caught, he's the only man alive back then, had four blue marlin over 700 pounds. That's wow. What a fisherman. So anyway, I would go down there a couple of times a year. 
and I would take guests with me that I'm doing business with. I mean, they would never get a chance to fish in these waters. So anyway, I invited Bob Wooten and um, Earl Ball, Johnny's piano player, to go to Bimini. Well, we had the time of our life, the time of our life, of course. And Bob hooks on a giant tuna, well over a thousand pounds. And oh my fish, God. Within 15 minutes, snaps the line. And he, he now is hooked. I mean, once you get that, you're hooked. Well, he yeah. couldn't stop bragging. So he says, Henry, why don't you ask Johnny? He would love this. I said, Bob, I'm too embarrassed. And I was, in some ways, I'm a shy person. I couldn't. Right, 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 so, right. Now, I tell people I got to be friends with Johnny Cash through his stomach. He says, what are you talking about? Well, Johnny loved Italian food that you couldn't get in Tennessee. In fact, his housekeeper was right off the boat. She was married to uh, uh, the head of security. And um, uh, I think the last name was Basilia or something. I'm not sure. But anyway, broken English and all that. And she was a great cook, but you couldn't get the ingredients out there. So there was a local deli called Peon Cones in Bradley Beach. And he had in the window the big cheeses hanging down and everything. He would make fresh bread every day. And anyway, I take a cooler and I would go over there and I get prosciutto, gabagol, you know, fresh olive oil and homemade bread and prosciutto. And I'd put it in a thing. I would get on Johnny's bus. We would sit down and they would eat because right after the concert, they're hungry. Right. On the way either back to the hotel or the next venue, they're eating. So that was how that happened. So I'm on his bus maybe six or eight months after the Bimini trip. And he says, Henry, come here a minute. He said, Bob is telling me about this place in Bimini. He says, you know, I'd love to go there with you. I says, you would? He says, absolutely. Let me, he clears his calendar. He says, I think I can go next June. Wow. Call up Captain Jimmy, got everything set. And uh, we made five fishing trips to Bimini. Oh, wow. Time of our life. One, one was memorable. Um, back then, there was a seaplane service called Chalks out of Miami. You get on a seaplane, and 30 minutes later, you're in Bimini. It was incredible. Well, we're on this one flight, Johnny, myself, Bob, and a friend of mine, Gene Nito. And we had kind of a rough takeoff because you'd have to raise your feet up because the water's coming in a plane was going down <laughs> the bay, right? So now we take off and we land in rough water in Bimini and it's kind of shaking. So, uh, oh, and another funny thing. As soon as we got on a plane, we we go down this little, uh, not a runway, a concrete spillway into the into Biscayne Bay. And captain starts to taxi and he shuts the engine off. I said, oh my God, what's wrong? He gets out of the cockpit and looks back. He says, we got a problem. He said, you two fat guys got to sit up here to balance the plane. Well, that's hysterical. We had to move up to balance the plane and he takes off. Anyway, he didn't know the one guy with Johnny Cash. I'm the fat guy, right? So we land in rough water and Johnny gets off the plane. And he says, Henry, he says, you know, that was kind of a rough ride. Would you mind if we flew back on a Learjet? No, that's okay with me. So he called his sister in Nashville and they had a Learjet waiting to take us back. Oh my God. That's crazy. Anyway. So you got this amazing history. You got these celebrities. And, and the time on Guitar Tales always flies. I want to make sure we get time to look at that gorgeous guitar behind you. It's okay. I don't know how I can swing it over. I don't know if you can Let's see. It. Let me, oh, my God. Look at that. Look at that headstock. This is the, this is the new Vicaro. Oh, my God. Keep twirling. Uh, the, the light is getting it perfect. We're getting a little closer to you right now. 
All right, you might have outdone yourself from the seventies with that. That is stunning. This is the best of the best of Kramer. Took the best of it and got rid of the worst because in the back. Yeah, let's take a look. You see wood. Wow! Look, and are those shallers? You always had shallers in the past. Yeah. How about that? Are they still shallers? Uh, these are, but see, they have to be special made because the, the headstock is not as thick. Yeah, that is that is. Maybe the best looking guitar neck I've ever seen. That is that is really something. So that you know, that's what's going on. Don't, that you, is fantastic. Only half hour went by already. D dude, we're uh, thirty seven minutes into it now. Oh my god, I could I could talk to you for ten hours, but we always try to limit our show uh, for today's short attention span for the kids out there. Um, so what? So what's the next plan for you for that guitar? So what's your goal? Here's what I intend to do. Okay, it's very hard, if not impossible, to get in the guitar business today because all these big companies and all right. the advertising dollars, and plus, I'm sure they buy the shelf space. You know, in other words, if you want to be a Fender dealer, you got to buy X number of Fenders, or you're not a dealer anymore. You gotta, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I'm looking at. And I've already had one pre, uh, you know, one conversation with Gibson. I want to license them the neck and bring back the retro Kramer. Oh, that is brilliant. Okay, and you should see the bass. The bass is incredible. Well, so, you, know, I know that you guys did that when you put out your original Kramer aluminum necks. It was four to one bass to guitar. Yeah, you're right. Because yeah. the bass was incredible. Yeah, they're, they're stunning. So that and there is that whole nostalgia piece to it. I think that's a brilliant marketing idea. You know, and it can bring back some of the old guys from the original Kramer days, like me. Right. Maybe do it. Now, if that happens, they that automatically legitimizes my neck. Yeah. Then I would go in a neck replacement business. All right. Yeah. Yes, because the way I have this neck design, I can put anybody's headstock on it. Now, oh really? Yes, this is the this is the Kramer headstock now, the Kramer you know like called the banana neck. I can put you a Fender headstock. I can do a Gibson. I can do a Jackson. I can do anybody's headstock on the aluminum extrusion. I'm looking at that neck. It, it's just stunning. I, I think you you correct me if I'm wrong, but I have never seen a pure aluminum headstock anywhere. Incredible, right? It's really it's stunning. Okay, now, so. Put now, me number one on the customer list whenever you guys go into production. I'm looking for an investor to help me get launch the company. So maybe somebody will call in on your show. Yeah, you never know. Never well, know. Well, Henry, I want to thank you so much. I, th this was exactly what we built it for. We put a few teasers out on social media for a really special episode. We didn't really? see who it was yet. We just said a very special episode. If you like uh, Eddie Van Halen, you want to watch this one. If you like Kramer <laughs> Guitars, you got to watch this one. And you did not disappoint. So thank you so much for joining us. You could do a whole segment on Michael Jackson on how he bought the company from me and defaulted it and screwed me out of millions of dollars. So if anyone, we could do that. And I'll tell you what, there's a great description of that on your Wikipedia page. So if, if you folks are interested in hearing just a, a crazy music, Hollywoodish story, uh, look up Henry Vaccaro on uh, Wikipedia. There's a great description of that. I did research for today. Um, one of my uh, friends is a uh, Hollywood producer, and he said, Dave, do your research for this show. And I said, okay. Well, so. I want to do a documentary, a couple, one about Kramer and another about my Michael Jackson experience. It'll blow your mind. 
All right. Well, we may have to bring you back for that show. I want to come back. All righty. Well, Henry Vaccaro, thank you so much for joining us. This was really everything I hoped it would be. And I know our guests are going to, or our fans will really be thrilled with it. Well, now, uh, when did this podcast go on? So here's the deal. So we are going to do a Facebook watch event, um, which we always do. That's how we premiere our shows. And I will do two things for you. I will connect you on Facebook to it, but I'll also send you a secret private copy of the show. Okay, great. All right, fantastic. So everyone on Guitar Tales, this is Dave Cohen signing off. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. And more important than me, more important than our fans, Henry Vaccaro. All right. A legend, a legend. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, David. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Right.